Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. Dustin could not join us for this episode, but Max is back. So, Max Seidman is a game designer for the indie publisher Resonant, based in Hanover, New Hampshire. Max co-designs with Dr. Mary Flanagan, the owner of Resonant. You may have played some of their games like Monarch or Visitor in Blackwood Grove. Max, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So, today we are talking about randomly generated games or procedurally generated games or basically any kind of game where it's not just a designer coming up with the one board and the one set of cards and saying, here's the game. Something where the designer is creating more of a system and putting that into a computer and the computer saying, here is 4,000 versions of the game. What do you want to play? So Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you, how you see this concept? Like what, what counts as randomly generated, what doesn't? Yeah, well, so where to draw the line is hard. Clearly, we have lots of board games that have um, just human randomly generated setup conditions, right? Uh, just variation in setup, the, the which stacks of cards you're playing with in Dominion, um, which of the special powers you're using in Kingdom Builder. Um, I don't know why I'm only talking about Vaccarino games. Um, <laughs> he likes randomness. Yep. Uh, so clearly, we can do that without computers. Um, but I've been exploring doing uh generations doing generation for games with computers and then bringing them into the tabletop space after they've been generated i think probably the best place to start is let me give a little pitch for continental drift sure um i think the reason the reason we're doing this is because um you saw continental drift at the boston festival for indie games last year yeah um and continental drift is a single sheet printable um game that is played with scissors but that, that's kind of beside the point um where the the map itself changes every game because uh you, i have a little generator that you press r randomize and it makes a pdf that you can print and every board is different um and kind of building that generator has been a very interesting process um, building that game has been an interesting interesting process and uh building what is kind of its spiritual successor a game that is working titled Tabula Rasa has also been a very interesting process. So I'm hoping to talk a little bit about those. Yeah. So I, I saw Continental Drift and it's a very interesting concept. Like from the beginning, especially the fact that you had the giant one that you had people cut up at the end of the day. That was, that was a great gimmick, but like the, the game itself, I enjoyed the cutting, but like just the, the fact that every, every page was a new two player adventure is is really interesting and like I know Roland Wrights are doing very well now. We just had the episode about that a couple weeks ago and like it's kinda it's kinda in that same vein, you know, it's a single sheet of paper and people can play it. But instead of here's the same sheet every time and we're gonna roll some dice and that's gonna change it, it's here's a different setup. Now this is there's different tactics, there's different rules sometimes for this individual sheet of paper. Yeah, and I think I think this is a great time in the in in games to be doing uh randomly generated single sheet or really randomly generated anything but the single sheet as you're talking about is a lot like roll and write and i think it's gonna be very familiar to players yeah um writing that uh so so writing the generator was a very interesting process and i think it brought up a whole bunch of questions like there are a bunch of technical challenges there are a bunch of aesthetic challenges and then there are a bunch of design challenges and concerns um that all kind of came up as as we were doing that. So what, where did the idea start from? So you just decided one day I want to make randomly generated 
cut up games or well so the, i mean they're two different they're two halves of course um as we were just talking about we like to do kind of hook first design um so i was challenged by dr flanagan to uh come up with a game that was a single sheet something that is uh extremely uh easy to produce and um that's kind of where the the concept of a single sheet randomly generated game came from. Um, the mechanics of Continental Drift uh, were a little bit different. Um, you've probably played Dots and Boxes. So Dots and Boxes is is this classic game that I played as a kid, where you have this grid of dots and you alternate with another person, and every turn you just draw a line from one dot to another. And if you complete a square, you get to score that square. Yeah. Um, and so Continental Drift was based off of that. Um, but instead of drawing the lines, you were you were cutting with scissors along a grid, and pieces would fall off and all that jazz. Um, and again, that's kind of secondary to the randomly generated por- portion of it. Um, but that's kind of where the two those two separate parts came together to form this game. So when did the idea to make it the theme come in? Because that's I think that theme really it really fits with the concept of the cutting pieces off and it falling apart. Yep, that definitely came after we had the cutting mechanic. Um, so Continental Drift, the theme is. Um, Pangea is splitting apart the massive supercontinent uh, from millions of years ago, and there are lots of creatures on it, and you are kind of uh, geological forces, I guess, with your scissors splitting up the continent into your subcontinents, um, and you're forming a subcontinent, and you want it to have um, certain types of creatures and not other types of creatures. Um, that certainly followed from where we were like, oh, wouldn't it be fun? So how can you interact with this? Well, you could draw on it, or you could use scissors. Oh, if you're using scissors, what, what could you be cutting up? What, what could fall apart here? And that, that's where the theme came from, for sure. What could fall apart here? How about the Earth itself? <laughs> exactly. So what was the process for, for doing the programming for this? Yeah, so that was very interesting because um, I kind of launched into it, and I don't have any formal programming background. I kind of taught, taught myself um, for previous projects and um, taught myself as we went forward with this project. Um, so I kind of just launched into it without much of a plan. Um, and some of the first things that I came up that I ran into were the aesthetic challenges. So how do you, well, the very first thing I ran into was the, um, the technical one. How do you make a generator that makes print- printable games? Um, and I can actually just share the resource I used. So for Continental Drift, I was using, um, a, uh, tool called pdfkit.js. It's a JavaScript PDF generation library. Um, and I highly recommend it just really for anything you do because the benefit of it over many other things that people will do for for like randomizing and creating pdfs oftentimes those will be server side so you have to host a server which for little game companies uh, is not a thing you want to be uh getting high traffic on so pdf kit allowed me to build a little uh generator that runs on the client side so when you open up the web page your computer is doing the calculations for for generating the games Um, and what's nice about this is of course in a video game you can't do that in a video game um, if the calculations are happening on the user's computer, that's there's oftentimes there's security issues there, um, or there or there at least uh, hacking issues, right? Very hack, easy to hack if your computer is reporting back to the server where your character is or whatever. But in our case, all we're doing is generating the PDF, so we can just um, have it happen on the user's computer. They print it, and if they want to change how the PDF is laid out, uh, more power to them. Okay, so that's the that's the technical side of things. Um, after we overcame that, the first thing we had to deal with was the aesthetic. So how can you make like a a modular board that comes comes together um, and we had th- at the time had the very talented Zara, Zara Downs on our team um, and she had great ideas for how she wanted to do modular land masses um, and so we had to, so when I went into that 
uh, generator, I had to define, you know, this is the uh, the nor northwest corner tile. This is a uh, northeast corner tile. This is a north flat edge tile. Um, and uh, using the pretty popular Perlin noise um, generation algorithm, I, and I tweaked that to get some landmass generation, um, it would figure out which of the areas are supposed to be land, and then it would draw a border around them using these edge tiles. So the aesthetic thing is, is challenging, and as we go forward with the future game that I don't think I've mentioned yet, so we're working on a game that's a inspired by Continental Drift called Tabula Rasa, um, which I think is going to have a very different aesthetic, that's going to be a challenge that we're going to have to continue to uh, deal with. How can you have games that both look good and are modularly gener generable, gener generatable, I guess? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, although going with your your second game in the same space, knowing knowing what you didn't know before, you can kind of design into that and maybe make it a little easier. Although sometimes it's just harder because now you have more ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, there's a lot of things I want to talk to about that. But there's certainly, I've been thinking a lot about the second generator for Tabula Rasa, knowing what I know from Continental Drift. Um, and there are a lot of lessons that I'm ready to carry over. <laughs> um, so for, for the program, so... We, it randomly generates the landmass or land masses. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's islands. Um, and then there's all the different animals and stuff. So is that the next step in the programming is it looks what's land, what's not. And it's, it's not completely random, right? There's some, there's sets of things that happen in it, right? That's right. So the next thing it does is it places the base creatures in Continental Drift. There's always um, eight dinos, eight moas, and um, eight uh, mammoths. And that part's pretty easy. It just kind of just drops them in because the layout of that is really what the players are doing. They're looking at that layout and saying, oh, the most, uh, the easiest piece type of creature to capture is going to be mammoths in, in this board. So there's actually not much balancing that happens there. It just kind of drops them in. Um, where things start getting interesting, though, is that Continental Drift also has um, a, a number of special creatures that kind of, that have their own unique special rule sets. In fact, um, I think we made around 40 of them um, before wow. we stopped working on the project. So it has got 40 unique um, special creatures and it, it goes through the list of those. It does some special choosing, which I'll talk about in a second to choose which ones it wants. Um, and then it will drop a few of those in. And one of the things I think that's really exciting about computer generated games is that you don't need, so if you're playing a, a, a traditional board game um, and you've got these, you know, maybe cards that have special mechanics on them and maybe there are a whole bunch of different types. So there's glossary in the instructions. You've got to read all of those. And you have to make sure everyone understands what each of the mechanics does before you start playing. Because what if they draw one of those into their hand, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of learning overhead. One of the things we're able to do with Continental Drift, and we're going to absolutely be doing with Tabula Rasa as well, is it chooses the special ones. It chooses the... Uh, it's two to four usually specials per board um, and then it has a section of the instructions so the the game is prints it prints the board on one side and it prints the instructions in the back and the instructions themselves are also generated um, most of them stay the same but um, it has a section where it puts in the special creatures and it only puts in the ones you need to know yeah it's, that was a nice feature because you, you don't have to have the list of all 40 special creatures which you're not going to use Exactly. And, and going forward, I think games that do this will need that list someplace, but they won't need to be on every board, right? If there's yeah. an instruction booklet, they can have that glossary. Or but... just on the website. Exactly. Um, so that's, I think, one of the big strengths of this type of this type of game and this going forward as people start doing this. I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, and it also extends beyond just individual like exceptions like the creatures to overall mechanics. For example, um, probably 
maybe half, maybe a little bit less of the special creatures use the mechanic of crossing things off. So um, you're allowed to, when when instructed by like the saber toothed tiger, when you capture that, it goes and hunts another creature and you can choose something in the board and cross it off with a pencil. And if it's crossed off, it's just as if it were empty land. And that mechanic is something that's used frequently, but is not in the base rule set. Um, so similarly, when I generated, when I have it generate the instructions, um, it looks to see if there's any creatures that use crossing off as a mechanic. And if there are, it adds a little line about what crossing off does and how it works. But if it's not, you don't, if it's not in, if there's no special creatures in there that use crossing off, it just doesn't print that line. So I was actually thinking about doing something similar to this for, so i am got a, well now a series of roll and write games that you don't roll, it's generated by the time. And I'm doing a Tempest Quest series for Button Shy, and I was thinking, since I've been working in this space so long that I just have to keep going, because my first one was a 10 by 10 grid, and you do the, the year, month, day, hour, and minute, and that gives you a 10-digit string, which is then used to randomly generate the setup of the board and is your actions. So instead of rolling dice, you just get this 10-digit string. Um, then worked on it with Button Shy for Tempest Quest and cut it down to a six-digit string, because turns out the year and the month don't change that often. <laughs> so, uh, and then like working through this, I found that it is an incredibly deep space, and you can go lots of different directions. So, my thoughts for moving forward is the um, once I shifted to the the six-digit instead of the ten-digit, it's still a ten by ten grid. So, where you place the first digit of the month of the day, the second digit of the day, an hour and stuff changes the map drastically. I found out there's 210 different symmetrical maps, not to mention all of the unsymmetrical maps. Asymmetrical maps? That's a word. Um, but I was thinking of doing some sort of system where this would be randomly generated, because when you, when you generate the map, there's the spots that are possible to have items in it based on the date. So like if you have a three in one column, the third box in that column gets the ore or wood or whatever resource you're putting in there or other things but you also end up with a pattern of empty spaces that are not not definitely not going to have anything in them because if something doubles over there's a little spill but there's there's a lot of dead spaces that are most likely empty and i use those to like put in enemies put in like certain static targets for that episode and things like that so what the 210 different maps are are unique patterns of these empty spaces I was looking into some sort of plan to randomly generate maps for that. So you could set up a thing and then it would populate all of your enemies and targets. But it's, uh, it's a lot more steps than you think. The first, the first time you think about it, you're like, oh, this should be easy. You just randomly generate it. You're like, oh, well, now I have to think about this. And I got to think about how things line up. And like you're talking about the aesthetics. You're like, oh, you can't just have a space. You need to have, is this a corner? Is this an edge? Yeah, so um, fun stuff. I, I also wanted to say I, I played the tutorial um, uh, of the ga- of your game and I really enjoyed it. Very clever oh, use you. of mechanics and yeah, the numbers. And, and of course, the tutorial is the only one I did on eleven by eleven square, <laughs> and it confused everyone. <laughs> but you know, you learn. That's why we had a tutorial. Yeah. Um, certainly, one of the things that snuck on up on me when I was building the generator for Continental Drift was as a designer. Um, I wanted to have kind of control over certain things and the way certain, uh, for example, the special creatures, the way they synergize. Um, 
And so this was the thing I had to retrofit in. And if I were starting again from scratch, this is a heads up to anyone who wants to do a randomly generated game. Um, if you're choosing a subset, sub-selection of things to put on maps, um, tag them with how they synergize. Yeah. Um, so that you can later in later games. So for example, I, I had a creature that is, this one is worth extra points if it's crossed off. Noting that crossing, crossing off a, a creature is not a core mechanic of the game. It comes from the other special creatures. So in order to have that creature, you need another creature that also that allows you to cross off. Um, so having it, eventually I ended up building a tagging system where you could say, this is a thing that synergizes with things that cross off. This is a thing that crosses things off. This is a thing that synergizes with X. This is a thing that does X. Um, and so then it would try to pair them in ways that that made interesting combinations and uh, in some cases kind of created serendipity um, where like there were some things that were very rare to see but it would be kind of exciting when the players did see them yeah so moving forward with your next version of this so what i mean i don't know how much you want to give away about it but what what are your plans for it yeah so um uh the story for this is is we playtested Continental Drift a lot, and it was a fun little game, and I really liked the ability to have a single-sheet gameplay. Um, the scissors were okay, but not necessarily my favorite part. But I really liked the ability to have single-sheet games that were randomly generated and different every time. Um, so where we went with that was uh, we have a working a prototype where the working title is, is Tabula Rasa now. It's a single-sheet um, war game with more kind of in-depth mechanics than Continental Drift. And... Um, I'm kind of incorporating a lot of the lessons we learned from Continental Drift into this one. So it's a two-player war game. So uh, it's, it's not actually, scissors. So it's not scissors. Um, it's it, as much as I like the scissors as a cool little hook. Um, they also they pose some physical problems, um, and they also kind of I don't know. They they, they pose some challenges. I think one yeah. of the one of the nice parts about our about our single sheet games is that they're. Uh, you print one and you take it anywhere. If you have to also bring scissors, that's a little bit harder. It is an extra step. Exactly. Um, so this one is, you play it with uh, a single board. Um, it's currently uh, two to four players. I'm hoping to make it one to five, but we'll see. One to five would be impressive. Yes. Uh, that's the, cracking the challenge of the of the uh, randomizer for, for a, an AI will be interesting. Um, but uh, you play it with just the single sheet and ideally one pen of a different color for each player. And you can actually see this game, so it's currently in the um, Board Game Geek uh, Print and Play War Game Competition. Um, so I've got a couple of maps up there if anyone wants to, if you want to head over to the forums and check it out. So that brings up an interesting question. You said you have some maps. How did you choose the maps to submit? Uh, well, this is a thing, another thing I learned and it's a thing I would very much recommend. Um, and I didn't do this for Continental Drift. For Continental Drift, I built the generator, and when I entered it in the uh, the two-player print-and-play contest in Board Game Geek, I actually generated a bunch of maps and then handpicked a few. Um, for Tabula Rasa, I actually just manually made a couple of boards. Seems and much quicker. Yeah. So this is kind of what what I learned. And and for Tabula Rasa, our new process is not uh, build the generator first, but instead build a few maps that we like. Um, feel out a bunch of mechanics and then build the generator because that's going to in, it's going to require less retrofitting than um, what we did with Continental Drift, which was every time I needed to, uh, for example, when I learned I needed to tag my uh, special creatures, I had to almost rebuild the entire thing. Um, so as a design process, I totally recommend make a few exemplars 
and then fill in the gaps with the random generator. Yeah, so that uh, ties in well to how do you test something like this? Because you can't really, uh, you can't feasibly test every possible iteration that the computer would spit out. So what what is integral to testing? What do you try to get a good idea about? Like, what's the process for that? Yeah. Um, so for when it came to Continental Drift, the big thing to test w- was the interactions between the special creatures. So each individual special, special creature itself and then the interactions. Um, because the board was so, uh, because you really, whenever you took an action, you could cut anywhere on the board. Um, I didn't really need to worry about balance per se. Um, because you know, if, if this area was, was particularly good, the players would be fighting over it and that's fine. Um, but I did need to make sure that each of the individuals worked, individual, uh, special creatures worked well and worked well together. Um, and that wasn't super hard. Um, I could specifically say, oh, I want these special creatures in the program and then have it generate that map and then then we just play it. One of the uh, that's one of the things that I also learned uh, a, a note for going forward if you're if you're building your your own um, random generator is allow yourself the e- the easy ability to toggle features on and off. Um, and <laughs> Don't to, just leave it on random. Exactly, um, and it, it was annoying. I would actually go in and delete lines of or comment out lines of code when I wanted particular things generated in. Um, and I know for Tabula Rasa going forward and any other games we do in this style, um, we're going to want to allow players to even when they go to the generator to actually customize it if they want to. To be like, hey, make me a board with, um, uh, in our case, saber-toothed tigers and UFOs or whatever in the case of Continental Drift. Um, yeah. There's really yeah. no reason not to once you create the, the system. Exactly, exactly. Um, but going forward with Tabula Rasa, the generator is going to be a it's going to be a very interesting question of how to test certain things because more things are changing in tabular also than we're in continental drift in addition um you start at a particular spot in the map and you kind of expand out from there so making sure that the starting locations are balanced is going to be something very important um, i've got some ideas for that but again i haven't generated the generated created the generator yet so i don't know exactly how they're going to work um I've done some digital games in the past, and I think what the the correct, correct path is um, to assign basically point values or you know estimated values to each of the special things that get dropped on the map, and then probably modulate them by the distance to the starting point starting zones, and then try to have the generator move them around so that each of the starting zones is uh, roughly equal in point value. That's that's a tough thing to manage, it seems. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and I think that's one of the that's going to be one of the interesting challenges, but also uh, it's perhaps one of the valuable bits of the game um, is that uh, the fun part is looking at this map and saying, "Huh, I think that starting area is going to be really, really good." Like you're saying with uh, with Continental Drift, it seems like the balancing is less of an issue because there's no starting point. There's just here is the board, and you both look and you're like, "Oh, that looks like a good thing to go for. That looks like a tough thing to do, or whatever." But with this, if you have starting points for each player, then that does shift it to this could be an unbalanced board that favors player A over player B. And that's, that's a tough thing to balance even in a game where you're only making one version. Exactly. Um, and I think there might need to be eventually, we don't have this yet, but um, some sort of point transfer, which is a, a kind of a, a bidding for starting starting player. Um, if someone thinks this area is really, the starting zone is really, really good, they're willing to, you know, cede some extra points at the beginning of the game to their opponents. That uh, reminds me of Keyforge, their chain system they came up with to help balance the decks. 
Yeah, absolutely. And even even in games that are not randomly generated, something like um, uh, bidding for turn order in five tribes. Yeah. Um, the so let's see other other tips that I've that I've come up with for building these generators. Um, don't do what I did. Um, when it comes to randomness, um, for Continental Drift, I made it so that it really just generated random numbers and just dropped those creatures everywhere. Um, going forward, we're going to be doing uh, seeded procedural generation. So uh, each map is going to have a seed, and you provide that seed to the random generator, and it always makes the same map off the same seed. You see this a lot in um, roguelike games, uh, roguelike computer games, um, and video games. And uh, it allows it will allow you to get the same map multiple times or to share maps with your friends, right? Um, yeah. I generate it. I can copy the seed and I can send that to my friend, and they can generate this exact same map if they want to try it out. Also, must help for testing, so you can regenerate the same thing with just the code instead of having to just find the copy. Exactly, instead of having to photocopy. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things that I think really has the potential to be awesome in these generated games is that you can the, the players can really come across something that you have the design as the designer have never seen before um, whether that's a combination or a configuration of the of, of different components probably it's, it's usually that it's the combination of um, this thing is placed here along with this other thing that you never saw as the designer in the same place at the same time um, I think that's gonna be re- that can be really cool. It's it's the the allure of Minecraft exploration, right? Oh, yeah. you found this this great d- desert structure, and of course that structure was was designed by somebody, but it feels like you're discovering it anew. Mm-hmm. One of the big challenges, I think, as a designer, I don't like ceding control. I don't like giving up control over the design of the map. Um, and so the thing I'm struggling with, particularly with Tabula Rasa, as we go forward, is figuring out how much. Uh, should change from map to map, and how much I should, I how much control I get to exert, how much, um, how many individual elements should change from game to game, is one question, and then secondarily, um, how much should I pre-script which things go together? Because as I mentioned, I, I created by hand the first couple of maps, and I'm going to be doing that for the next next bunch of maps as well. Is it going to have a similar feel to um, Continental Drift, where there'll be aspects of the game that don't appear in every map? Yeah, absolutely. So currently, the way here's what I know is going to change: the layout of the board is definitely going to change. Um, and just like in Continental Drift, um, there are going to be a number of special uh, objects or structures that uh, that it can choose from to place on the map. Um, that is absolutely happening. But in addition to Continental Drift, um, into the, those things which we saw in Continental Drift, it's also going to have um, actions that you can take. Um, and there are core actions that actually may shift a little bit from game to game, um, also pseudo-randomly generated. And um, there are also going to be upgrades to those actions that will probably shift um, every few games, every few boards. What's the plan for selling or presenting this? That's a really good question. Um, And our current plan, um, I think, is is going to be uh, players get a book. Um, So it's a game book, almost like a Sudoku book, but instead of it being a single-player puzzle, it's a basically a fully-fledged strategy game on a sing- on every single sheet. Um, so uh, if I had my way perfectly, I would get perforation on them so that you can you don't even need to bring the book with you. If you're going to the beach, you peel out one page, you take that with you, you play it on the beach, and you don't need to worry if like if it blows away. Okay, it blows away, big big deal. Yeah. Uh, but in addition to the book, I think uh, I want to give every person who gets the game access to the generator so that they can generate their own their own 
copies. I don't want them to feel like they're limited by the book. So yes, you get, you know, whatever it is, 150, 200 uh, boards in the book. But also, if you run through those, you can always make more. Yeah, it's really, well, I guess technically not limitless, but the limit is pretty high. Yeah. Like, so that's the other thing. Um, while the limit is very high, the difference between two games could be as little as the placement of a single thing. So do you have part of your randomization system to prevent two boards from being too similar, or is that just a manual check that you have to do before you put them in the book? Yeah, so the plan, the plan would be to have the book be a specific set of boards. So it's like if I buy the book and you buy the book, we're each getting the same book. Um, and there can be different versions of the book that come out later, but it's not every book is completely random. So we will definitely do some curation of which boards go where. But in addition to that, I think um, we're planning to do a have a kind of persistent narrative across multiple boards. So um, there will be, you know, several boards that use the uh, the tower fortification, and that gets dropped on the board. And there will be several boards that use the um, the wildfire mechanic or whatever. Um, and so there definitely will be they will be crafted to an extent, right? I think we they, we will say. Uh, this board needs these things, um, and in the in the generator, you you do you can get just a purely randomized board. But for the book, we are going to handpick to some extent. So while we're talking about procedurally generated, obviously the the big fish in this pond is KeyForge right now. Though, so have you played KeyForge? Yeah, I played a, a fair bit of KeyForge. Yeah, I've played a single game, but I bought more than a single deck because that's that's what they do to you. But uh, so, what are your what are your thoughts on how they how they went about that? Um, I think I was very excited when I first heard about it and I think, um, and it's a solid, it's a very solid little game. Um, in the end, I think they've done a really good job of making a kind of lifestyle game alternative, like a magic alternative, um, that is not, that is much more casual and much more, uh, friendly to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the randomness of the decks is a cool um, a cool hook, but doesn't actually change my experience all that much, right? It's more the fact that the decks are are fixed than that than that they are random, you know. Yeah. Randomness just allows everyone to have a unique deck. Exactly. Um, I mean, the the same thing could be done if you had fifteen preconstructed decks and you just chose. Exactly. Um, one of the things that I've been hoping to see in the near future is um, trading card games or collectible card games that, that actually uniquely generate cards. Um, and balancing that is, of course, going to be an interesting challenge, but I, I'm looking forward to that. And that's kind of what I was hoping I would get with Keyforge, and I was pleasantly surprised with, but I got a different thing um, when I started playing Keyforge. That's an interesting concept. Especially, you mentioned balance, but if you look at, <laughs> if you look at Magic the Gathering... Each individual card is not balanced with every individual card. They they balance the sets. So you wouldn't necessarily need every card to be balanced, but just like like you're talking about with, you know, generating your boards, you have certain limits and checks so that things fall within a certain range. Yeah, that could work. It'd be yeah. super easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I imagine it'll be quite the challenge, and I think it would probably need some sort of self-balancing like the chain system in Keyforge, which I think is one of the most fascinating things they've done. Um, yeah. but, uh, I can, I can imagine, for example, so I, I ventured into this a little bit, um, trying to build, I had a prototype for an evolving card game where every time I, I use the term evolving to mean every time 
you didn't buy a card, it, it would get an evolution. Um, something about it would get better. And that was it was interesting to try to balance those things because um, I, we had uh, improvements, so ways that would, cards would get better, and drawbacks, ways that cards would get, um, that, that you kind of pair with better uh, improvements. And um, as you know, if you follow magic, oftentimes things that seem like drawbacks in certain situations are actually improvements. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the thing they'd have to have to deal with if you're making an actual collectible card game where the cards themselves are unique. Yeah, but that's also part of the fun is finding really that is. trick. It really is. And, and so long as it doesn't... It and then you have to find it. Exactly. Trick. As long as it doesn't entirely break the game, that is the, like, the super fun part, right? Um, and you can see that there are some games, pretty, obviously video games, that do this um, already to an extent, right? Diablo, um, the Diablo games have always had semi-randomly generated fairly unique items and that's always been a really appealing thing like ooh, i got this this pretty uniquely generated item there is just something in human nature that wants they want the special thing you know that yep. no one else has anything like this this is mine yep and the discovery too the oh my god what yep. is that how does <laughs> that work that's the the kind of serendipity thing that i, I want to make sure we preserve in tabula rasa and other games that do this would probably want to do as well um, make sure you can feel that moment of discovery that, oh, I'm seeing something that nobody else has seen. Um, and it's actually cool as opposed to just like, yes, it's different, but it's not substantially different. So how how important do you think or how much of the game should be consistent from time to time? The same <laughs> with Continental Drift. You always had the 8-8-8 eight, eight, and eight of the basic creatures, and then there were the special things, and the landmass was always different. So how much... Because if it's completely different every time, which is kind of the issue I ran into with Tempest Quest, I was like, okay, we're on a totally different planet now. We're going to use a hexagon map instead of squares. Everything's different. All the rules have shifted. And it's entertaining, but it was a beast to design because I'm basically taking absolutely none of my previous knowledge into this next version. So how much, both from a designer perspective and from a player perspective, how much do you want to keep the same from time to time where you know maybe the location's different but mechanically it works the same yeah and that's that's certainly something i've been struggling with especially because as i was mentioning one of the big strengths of doing these kinds of generated games is that you can vary these things very even like the core mechanics of the game without as much learning overhead as you would in a in a normal board game right yeah. um, in a normal board game you need an entirely new rule book for one of these you just need to highlight what's changed on the back of the sheet or whatever on the instructions on the sheet um, and I was initially, we were very excited to be able to be like, Oh wait, what if, uh, further in the book, you run into a map and that one's a co-op game. Um, or suddenly th this game is turned into a, uh, less confrontational, more kind of Euro economic game. Um, and as cool as that is to be able to do, um, I think it's, it's going to be jarring from a player perspective. Um, you want little change from the player perspective. I think you want little changes. You want it to be varied, but you don't want it to be a different game. Also, you don't have. I mean, depending on how you release them with the book, maybe you have more control. But people aren't necessarily playing maps in a linear order. So someone's first map might be map A, someone else's might be map Z, and then their path along is completely different. So you can't really, you can't really play with growth like you would in like a campaign or legacy game. You kind of have to have everything sort of be a good place to start but also an interesting place to play your 30th game yeah well we are planning on doing a little bit of a linear progression um they're going to be the plan for the book is that they're going to be some maps that are 
um, just kind of free play, pull a map out and play it. Um, but there are also going to be a bunch of kind of micro campaigns where you do go in an order. Um, but even so, um, too much change, I think, is going to be jarring. Where to draw that line is going to be a challenge. I, I don't know what the answer is yet. I have some feelings but um, and some things that I've learned from Continental Drift. But one of my big challenges is going to be figuring out where... I'm pretty confident that the map, where things are laid out in the map is a thing that can change every single game. I'm pretty sure that which kind of special features appear on a map can change every game. Um, but how much the core actions can change every game is going to be a, a big question. Well, good luck with figuring that out. <laughs> Thanks. I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, so anything else you want to say about procedurally generating or this process or these games? It's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of interesting that we're, we're almost halfway to designing a video game at this point, um, but it's well, not. That, that is the thing, like, at a certain point it could be, could be easier, but a, like we were talking in the last episode, you're kind of losing the hook, you know? Like, you can procedurally generate video games, they've been doing it for a while, but that's just another roguelike. Exactly. Um, and I, I think there's a, a good space for, for games that have a little more variance. Um, can get you a little more replayability in the tabletop space um, than they've been able to do before. And especially, I think the one-sheet game, I think now is the time for that. Roland Wrights are doing great. And I think something, like, I mean, Tempest Quest, the nice twist of that is you don't need to roll anything. And this is the same with that. You can take take a sheet and some pens, and that's it. That's all you need. And that adds, like, once you remove the dice from a game, it is so much more portable. You can play it on a train. You can play it in a line. It's like you're talking about in the last episode, Palm Island. Like the gimmick is you don't have to have a table. You can hold it. Same thing with these. You can just walk around with it. And personally, that's very appealing to me. Like I have a kit of everyday carry games that I carry on my backpack. And bat, damn, is it bad for my back. <laughs> um, so I would love to have more portable games. And I think these single sheet games have a real potential for that. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for coming on and talking about all this and giving me some ideas for my own attempts to move into this with also very limited programming knowledge, so I'm teaching myself as I go. But uh, yeah, it's I think it's a really interesting space, and I think it will start to pick up as more people get into this space. I mean, Roland Wrights are doing well, and I think there's going to be a shift to something adjacent to Roland Wrights eventually. I totally agree. Um, if I can, I'm going to try to summarize the things that I was saying over the course of the show, if that makes sense. Sure. Because um, I realized I, I had a few things that I learned that I think would be very useful for anyone doing this kind of stuff, but I didn't actually bring them all together. I think the three things I said were, if you've got a big list of things and you're choosing a few of them to go into your game um, every time it generates, definitely tag them to make it easier for you to say which ones can go together, which ones should go together, and which ones shouldn't go together. That's thing number one. Uh, thing number two is when you're doing random generation, make sure you use, you use a seed so your games can be replicated if you use the same seed. And I think my third tip was just uh, PDF, um, PDF kit. The JS JavaScript library is a great thing to use, tool to use if you uh, are looking for a tool to create a generator in. Awesome. I will try to link to that in the show notes. And our, you said... Um, Nebula Rasa was on the BGG. Is Continental Drift available anywhere I could link to? Uh, same place, actually. Or, or board game, the Board Game Geek um, 20, 
2018, I think, maybe 2017, um, two-player print-and-play game contest is where you can see you can play a couple of Continental Drift boards. Um, similarly, check out the the current Board Game Geek um, War Game print-and-play contest if you want to try out Tabula Rasa. Awesome. And if people want to get in touch with you or follow you, where can they do that? Yeah, uh, you can just email me. I'm max at resonum.com. That's R-E-S-O-N-Y-M. Um, you can also hit up resonum.com to see uh, some of our other projects. And we're also pretty active on social media. You can follow us at uh, the Resonum uh, on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. And yeah, I think that'll do it. Yeah, it's been an honor. That's all for this episode. The Board Game Workshop is a member of the Indie Game Report. You can check out their reviews and interviews at theindiegamereport.com. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our inventor-level supporters. Chris Turner, Vegan Al, Brad Bachelor, Roscoe Schock, Vas Cottis, and Corey Muddeman. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theboardgameworkshop. You can follow the show on Twitter at thebgworkshop and on Facebook at theboardgameworkshop. Join the show's Discord channel to discuss episodes. You can call the show's Google Voice number at 725-222-8249 and leave a question or contributor segment for a future episode. You can get the links for these and all show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Thanks for listening.